Well, it's great to be with you today. Um, today is we're going to now dismiss the children. But before we do, we have the famous dismissal with a joke, and this is a good one. Are you ready? Why was Cinderella bad at soccer? She kept running away from the ball. Come on, Angel had one shoe, that one too. Okay, all right. All right, yeah, come on, thank you. I'll give that a good B minus. All right, children, you are dismissed. Uh, thank you for being with us, for being a great part of our church and congregation. Great to be here. Um, I only have five good jokes. I only have three more to go, so hopefully... Pastor Debbie comes back quickly, so we're um, Debbie's having a great time and comes back this week and, and seeing her family, but Kevin said she's ready to come home, and I understand that. Um, uh, I have come back this week uh, from a 6,000-mile trip of driving. Uh, I drove all but 200 miles of that, and the Lord was good. My son drove the other 200 miles. He did a great job, um, but 200 miles was 6,000, really. I mean, okay, I suppose. No, but it was great. Um, yeah, we thank you for your prayer, my four-year-old, just the two of us. And so we survived that. And see, in our family, you wouldn't like traveling with us. We are like, we get our done people. We just stopped twice from here in L.A. So got to have good bladders to go on my trips. So that's one of the, the rules. Um, but it was great. Our longest day was from Phoenix to Houston. Now, if you know anything about the geography of the country, um, it's only three states, but Texas is big. Really big. Um, some of you maybe remember an old movie came out, like two that old, 2002 or three, called The Rookie. Had Dennis Quaid in it. It's about an old uh, science teacher who becomes a baseball player again. Well, that was my son's favorite movie, and it takes place in Big Lake, Texas. Well, you don't drive into West Texas all the time, so we thought we'll go off the freeway to Big Lake, and we did. That was great. That part was really good. I put my GPS in for my cousin's address in Houston, which was North Houston. I wasn't aware. And we were north of I-10. And so I kept driving. I'm like, this is not like getting us back to the interstate. What's going on? Well, then I, you know, I, the GPS, just you draw the maps away. You don't care about maps anymore, right? I had a map, um, but I looked at it too late. I realized the shorter route was 600 miles of two-lane roads in Texas. Now, I will tell you, it was 75 miles an hour on a two-lane road. Um, There's nothing out there but the deer, and it was dark. We survived. No deer were killed in the making of that film that day, um, but we, we survived. It was great. Um, I also crossed off two more states on my journey. Uh, I had not been through um, uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, Louis, I don't know how to say it, or uh, Mississippi, which I can spell. And so now I'm going to I'm 48 states. I've got two more to go. Um, now, the awkward thing is uh, I have Maine and Vermont. Now, the irony is I've spoke at the Maine District Camp, but the Maine District Camp is in New Hampshire. Now, if I had a bicycle in like 10 minutes, you can get to all three states really quickly. They're all right. They're the size of a county up there. They have fake states out in the northeast. They're all like, you know, 50 miles wide. Anyway, my quest, two more states, and we'll get them all. Um, but, no, we had a great time. Um, we, we did uh, our kind of vacation part of it. We went to Florida. We're on the beach for a week. So that was great fun. Uh, my vacation is doing nothing, which I mostly did. However, I think I put on Facebook this thing. Jenny might have seen it. I, you know, I'm a little bit odd, which you know. Um, and I, I run a little bit. And I thought, man, we get to run on the beach. Doesn't sound like a fun idea, running on the beach? I will tell you, you might not know this, but we're at elevation here at 2,500 feet in the valley. 
And earlier in the summer, I actually ran in Colorado, which was 9,000 feet. Let me tell you, uh, you know elevation by walking or running especially. So with the sea level, and I thought, I'll run, run barefoot. The sand, by the way, in Florida is like soft and never gets hot. It's phenomenal. But um, your bare feet are made of skin, in case you weren't sure. Um, so I, I was, I, I could have ran forever. I wasn't running super fast. I kind of ran right into that water, that hard part of the sand, you know. And the first four miles were good. Well, I was going to run. I'm not sure I was going to run. But I ran a while. I thought, you know, I'm going to run towards that, that um, hotel and run back. So I, you know, I could see it. It as day. I kept running. Man, this thing's a long ways away. So finally I get there, and it's in four miles. And I thought, okay. But then I started running back, and I thought, man, my feet aren't happy any longer. And the, the, the sand and the feet kept running. And by, by mile number five, uh, my feet were now uh, angry at me. So I made it all eight miles, but my feet, um, uh, well, I'll recover eventually. But here's my tip to you. You can run three miles without, without shoes. After three miles, uh, wear shoes. Otherwise, your feet, the skin will all fall off, and it um, will be exciting. Other than that, it was a great vacation. It was fabulous. So other than I lost the sole of my feet, it was fabulous. So, um, yeah, we did, yeah, it was great fun. Um, I also want to thank you. Uh, I talked to Diane. You guys were more than gracious to her. Um, she commented funly and great bunch you are, which I knew she would be. And, and some of you emailed me that you appreciated her messages. So I'm glad that all worked out well. And she's a great friend and colleague, and it was um, love, love to have her here with you guys these past few weeks. But I'm back, for better or worse, you're stuck with me again. So got to deal with it if it's a problem. So, um, My dad um, is, has always been a kind of a finance guy. Uh, he's worked at several jobs throughout his career. Um, worked at Sears for a long time and worked on some small companies. Worked for Boeing for a while. And intuitively, I kind of got, you know, the money and finance. Gee, I love numbers. I love spreadsheets. I know it's kind of awkward for a pastor to love money when you don't have any, but it's fine. We have spreadsheets now that we don't have. Um, but I've always, I've always loved, like, accounting. I've loved kind of finances. Um, one of the blessings and curses of my life is a little bit of software called Quicken. You know Quicken? Um, those of you who are money nerds, it's a way. But the problem is I have OCD tendencies. And so I like track everything. I had an instant update, and I can see all the bills I have, right? As I track these things. And that's mostly a good thing, although one of the, the dangers of life is you can consumed about things you have or things you don't have. If we were to give this today, today's message a title, it would be God's 401K. By the way, I have, I'm good at financial planning. I'm not good at giving advice, but I'm I'm good. I've always loved with young couples and helping Sunday school classes doing money stuff. And we do know this, by the way, that Americans are not saving enough for their 401ks. So here's my, don't hear this sermon being against 401ks. You need to have them unless you want to work forever, which is always fun. Um, but uh, today's message would be, God, what is God's 401k? Um, and there's a tension in our sermon today about what does it mean to be responsible and wise and a good steward and how do we couple that with really trusting God? There's a tension here. Well, in Luke 12, is our, Luke 12, 13 to 21 is our passage today. You can turn there. I'll read it in a few moments. Um, here's some context that happens right before the beginning of this chapter. Um, this chapter is asking this question. Do you want to be a disciple? And so what you then have in this chapter are instruction for disciples. And anyone can look and see and ask the question, is this something you really want to do? Uh, early in the chapter, God asked, Christ asks about who should you fear. It talks about 
um, saying you're going to do one thing and doing another. Um, our favorite word of hypocrisy. And by the way, let me put a pause here and say this. Um, I'm with lots of people and often lots of students. And students will critique the church for being hypocritical. And by the way, that is not good. Uh, for example, we say how we do all this. We live different lives. That's a challenge. Um, that's not a good thing. But I would say to us this way. Um, what in your life is not hypocritical? Right? Um, too often, many places in our life, we go kind of say one thing and do another. But we kind of pick on the church and kind of make the church a place, well, it's bad there. Like at Walmart, I've been treated nicely and poorly, right? I go to restaurants. I mean, so the key is this. Um, I think sometimes, um, while it's not good, uh, sometimes we kind of give an excuse of not going to church. Well, they're hypocritical, as if, like, you're not, right? I mean, so the danger is there is, is key to kind of make sure we're thinking about this. But it's still hypocrisy is a problem. We say one thing or doing another. The other thing, um, basically, the Pharisees are critiques, as Christ says, because they claim to be loved, but they're not. The other part of the hypocrisy is for some who are Christian but never tell anybody about it. I mentioned before, I was a awesome undercover Christian in high school. Now, that didn't mean I was, like, living in sin in high school, but I didn't talk about it much. Right? I kind of want to live below the radar. Right? I didn't want to, uh, you know... And so one of the challenges in Luke 12 is to say, um, where are there places in our life where God invites us to share about our faith? Um, it doesn't mean you all have to get up in a sermon and do evangelism from the street corners, but in the small places of our homes and our workplaces, um, where are there places that we can share our faith? Um, our, the teens came back from NYC. One of the parts of our trip, we picked up our kids in Disneyland, the Intermountain District. Had their last day come on a fun day in Disneyland, got our kids. It was really fun during our very long drive. Talk our kids about NYC and hearing some of them and their friends talk about, you know, my, my son was saying in particular um, how important it was that he loved God, but what does it mean to kind of to live that faith out with his friends and not just being nice to them, but when appropriate to share that faith, um, which is a great encouragement to the old dad, right, um, the how we can move going forward. So Luke 12 is also worried about the issues of fear, and, and fear is going to be all over our text today. Um, and the issue of money is going to pop up. One of the things that I think the gospel invites you to be free from is a thing called the myth of scarcity, which is to say we're always afraid of things running out. Now, again, I imagine in the sound of this room, there are many of you have times when literally the money had run out, and there is great fear there. Um, my um, wonderful grandparents, who have now all passed away, gone to heaven, um, they all lived through the Depression. And they would tell stories of what it meant to kind of live through those eras. So my grandmother, you know, she had was wonderful, but always would save everything, right? Because you never know you might need it. Some of you who had um, relatives who've gone through the Depression know um, what it's like to go without. And so, again, being responsible is important. But the gospel invites to say, what does it mean to lean into faith and trust that God will provide um, in the midst of challenging times? The danger is this. We're tempted to think that we have to do it all and can't trust God. Um, I know one of the early, lessons, early lessons my father taught me about uh, my parents' tithes and offerings, right? Sometimes we think when times are lean, well, I can't give. Uh, but my parents, in our own movements of life economically, were great witnesses that God will be faithful, um, that we give that back God's tithes and offerings in the good times and the lean times. And I would just say um, God can be trusted. Um, but the danger is, for sometimes, um, we rely upon ourselves. 
And I think don't give God the space to really work. So if you're able to, I invite you to stand um, as we read the text today. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Again, the text is Luke 12, um, 13 through 21. It's our text today. Um, and and um, here it is again, Luke 12, I'm sorry, Luke 12, 13 uh, through 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge and referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourselves against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life is not determined by one's possessions. Underline that in your phone or your Bible, right? Even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you've stored up plenty of goods enough for several years. Go to Florida on the beach. No, I didn't say that. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now you will get the things you have prepared. Now you will get things you prepared for yourself. This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a blessing, wonderful text from Jesus this morning. How encouraging. Um, in case you're not sure, by the way, you will all die someday. Congratulations. Be blessed. Um, um, it starts out with a, we think a brother coming to Jesus, saying, Jesus, split up our inheritance. Now, there were laws that covered this. We don't know, but it was likely probably a younger brother who's going to Jesus who wants his share. You remember also from the Luke's gospel, the prodigal son, and we had that story recently, I believe, about that younger brother who indeed um, wanted to get his inheritance and ran away and spoiled it. So I think there's some parallels there, the prodigal son text and this one here. But... Um, what we don't see is there any kind of weird things at play. We don't think anything unjust is happening, but this man is coming to Jesus and want to kind of get Jesus a power, probably get things that maybe this man does or doesn't deserve. We're not sure. Um, and this is kind of one of the hard things. Um, I have seen many wonderful families get destroyed on the issues of money or inheritance. Some of you know those things far too well. You have the scars today to live with that. Um, and so this issue is a hard one. Money is a tough one. Um, because again, while we're all trusting God, um, we like to make sure that you know we can't eat lunch today. And so when money gets involved, and even think there's an inheritance, there's a gift, you don't deserve it. Fighting and squabbles can often occur. And I think we need to ask God to help us be gracious and work through those. And we want justice for sure. But, you know, some, some, some issues <laughs> still persist. Interesting, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, same issues, and still today. Um, and what does it mean to be a kingdom person in regard to all these issues? Um, but he wants to use Jesus for selfish gain. There's no sense here that this, this person is being treated unjustly by the law. But he thinks Jesus has authority to help kind of get him some things that he wants, and perhaps even some ways that kind of go outside of what was normal. Um, and it also reminds me of this. Do we ever use Christianity or the Bible to kind of help out in selfish gain? 
I think sometimes I've lived in ways and seen people who've used the scriptures in ways to exploit and hurt others. Um, uh, there was plenty of faithfulness, but they use justifying bad behavior. Along the way, we'd be careful if we don't do that too. Well, um, Jesus quotes this proverb in our text. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Of course, the covet is from one of the Ten Commandments. To covet is to want what something somebody else has. You've often heard this in the grass is always greener mentality. Um, it's the idea that somehow by coveting another what somebody else has, you're not satisfied of what, what you have is good enough. Um, and again, what's underlying this entire text is this. Is God going to be enough for us? Remember that one line from the parable. Is your life determined by your possessions? Now again, it's important you've heard Jesus say, God wants you to be well fed. God wants you to have a life of provision. But I think sometimes in our area, even the area of plenty, so the parables that we go here, we have lots of stuff, but many of us, we still want more. And ultimate danger is this. By coveting, we think that what God's provided for us is not enough, and certainly God is not enough. When are you prone to covet? Um, early on, I'm not sure I've ever coveted like things that people had, um, but early on in my ministry career, I would covet my friends' uh, careers or successes. So that sometimes I had a hard time celebrating their successes. And it was my immaturity and insecurity. And God would say, Brent, bless and encourage them. I've got a path for you. Trust it. Trust it. And it's really helped me. Now, I'm not always over that, but it's helped me through the years to really celebrate at the victories and successes of others and not with my own jealousy or insecurity, say, boy, I wish I was that person. And those of you who know, um, oftentimes we, it's a good proverb. Be careful what you ask for. Sometimes when you get it, you're like, that was not a good idea. And in fact, some of the best blessings I think God has given me are, are answering no to my question, God, I want that, and God has said no. And later I've seen, oh, my word, thank you, God, for not answering my prayer. It doesn't mean we can't ask for things, but in my prayers now, I'm trying to say, God, I think I want this. But if this is bad for me, shut it down. Shut it down now and, and help us to see the way. Well, then we get into this, this issue here. All surrounding our text today is about greed, coveting and greed. And so um, we have this interesting parable. There's this farmer. And from the beginning, we know that this farmer is already rich. In fact, um, he already has plenty. But then in his plenty, he has a bumper crop. So again, remember we said for He has all he needs, but he has now more. What are we going to do with it? Now again, there's a tension among like, you know, those of you who are good business persons or farmers, right? Um, well, you know, what about lean years? Savings are a good thing. But again, the text sets it up. This man has all he needs. He's given more. What will he do with it? And he says, here's my problem. I know what I'll do. I'll build down my barns that already have enough for more than I need. I'll build bigger barns so I can have way more than I need. Um, now, again, those of you who are good, like, business, like, capital, like, this is smart, right? But Jesus says the kingdom, he never thought to ask, 
I wonder if other folks don't have any at all. We, we, know, we know the Lord's Prayer. Um, one of the Lord's Prayer is um, about asking for our daily bread. I heard a great sermon by one of my previous pastors who said, when we pray that prayer, Lord, provide our daily bread. Some of what we do in community is you recognize that some of you have lots of bread and some of you don't. And some of you, God is asking to share your bread as an answer to somebody else's prayer for their daily bread. Does that make sense? So um, some of you have been recipients of when you've gone through lean times, others have blessed you. And when you've had lives that are, that are good, you've got to be a blessing to others. And this man never thought to say, I've got plenty. Who else needs it? You see, even when you're rich or poor, that danger of the myth of scarcity is there, of saying, I never have enough. I'll be happier with just a little more. The problem with that mindset is this. If we put our happiness in the size of our storehouse, we're never going to be truly happy. We'll always think we'll have more. We're all, what about what if next year's bad? we got to save. And what does it mean to say, trust God each day? Right? Now again, there's some tensions here about how, how we practically live this out. But what's clear is this man had overabundance. And his thought wasn't, how can I share this with others? But how can I hoard it for myself? Some of you in the church, I know, have the, the gift of giving, right? You, you give something you don't even have. Um, others of you, more like me, you'll give when it's convenient. We don't want to give when it's too costly because all of a sudden now I'm the one in need. The invitation of our text is this. Um, and again, God, the problem can be even for those I've seen who are don't have a lot. But their desire is, I know I'll be happier if I have more stuff. You see, the danger is both for the poor and the rich. If your mindset is what Jesus said in the line, if you put your happiness and joy in your possessions, whether you're rich or poor, that's going to be the road, a dead-end road. So he tears down the barns that were plenty big and builds bigger barns, and he's all, he's, he's set himself up. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Now you can finally maybe relax. Maybe. But then Jesus says, and that very night, you die. Man. Now again, as someone thinks about finances, planning is good, so don't hear that. But the danger is this. If we are working to secure our own future and our own happiness, we fail to recognize, well, who, who, grows, who grows the crops? The, ah, there you go. Often my students say the farmer. No, right? The farmer does some work. But all the provision, who give you the right to, to see and to walk and to talk? Who gives you the brains? God has given it all. Now, we are to be good workers, right? So don't hear this as a, as a sort of be lazy, but recognize that everything we have comes from God. And so how do we live with that kind of joy and abundance in our lives? And again, in some regard, this man, rich man, was very, very poor. He did not have a network of persons whom he knew, who he could share this, this stuff with. In some regard, we'd say this. you got to be careful, you know. In some regard, part of the salvation of the rich is their ability to connect and share with the poor. But again, we have to think way bigger than rich and poor as like these hard-to-find categories. You get the idea. 
But this man stored it all up, had the plane ticket to Florida for the permanent house, and that night he was taken. Now again, this, this sermon doesn't like to scare us, but it is to say be careful when we start plotting our own, putting our faith in our own work, our own ability, our own storehouse. There's a danger here. There's a poverty of life that Christ wants to be careful and to save us from. So if you think about going forward, what does it mean that we're called to be good stewards of our life? I mean, this is not always about money. Um, it's about time and about being present. Um, Christ invites us to find ways in which um, we are called to share from the bounty uh, that God has given to us. Um, there was a time in our life um, when my wife and I, um, uh, our, our life was fine, stable. We were young. Uh, we had very little money. Um, but I was doing some work uh, for a church, and it was going to help us out. Um, but God said to me, um, this money you get for this activity, I want you to give it all back to me. Now, again, we were young in our 20s, and the amount wasn't huge for those of you who have big amounts. But for us, um, it was a big deal. Um, and God was saying, can you trust me in this? And I'll tell you, it was not easy. God and I battled over this. It was much easier if my wife said, sure, let's do it. Um, because my wife wasn't stuck to the old Quicken, Quicken account. So I know the money and the ledger. I know where we were at. Like, we could really use this. This could really help us out. Let's create some good cushions. Um, but God, at an early age, uh, in our young married lives, said, can you trust me? Can you trust me with what God has given you? So, um, eventually... Uh, after a week of battling God, I released it to God. Um, and it's a small thing. I wish I could tell you I always did that well. Um, but it was an important lesson that God taught me. Um, and we didn't get to do the bigger check in the mail, right? That weird religion, right? You give a 1,000, you get like 10,000. That weird stuff. We didn't, that hadn't happened. Um, but the blessings of God said to me, Brent, thank you for trusting me. One of the great stories of the Old Testament is the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's really an awkward story. It's one of those weird stories you've got to be careful what you preach about. Remember Abram, right? He had very little. He and his wife were old. They were really old. Um, and they had no kids. That was your, your, your 401k. They had no land, no offspring. They had nothing. And God said, yep, you're the ones I'm going to choose. You're the ones for whom will bear my name. Okay, let's do it. He left all that was comfortable. He left his father Haran's flocks. Went on his own, and God provided. God said along the way, by the way, you, you old and barren couple, you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. They're like, sounds good. But then nothing happened. See, sometimes we have these sermons about God's provision. We're like, we're ready. Hey, God, I'll give you a check on Tuesday. By Friday, I'm ready. Um. They were about 75, and nothing happened for 15 years. Um, and so they thought, we're, we're going to help God out. They had this custom in the Old Testament where you could have, and, and Sarah, really, her this is, um, this is part of the culture, it's not awesome, but a woman's role was producing offspring. 
That was your value in the, in the arrangement. And she wasn't able to do it. And there was great shame there. Um, there's, um, there was a lot of embarrassment. So one of the things you could do is take a maidservant, have that person sleep with the husband. That child from the maidservant was considered your child, even though it was biologically yours. So they tried to help God out. Have you ever tried to help God out? I've got an idea. We'll, we'll make this happen, God. It was God's promise. But they thought, well, we'll, we'll give God a hand. And um, so through Hagar, Ishmael was born. And if you know how world religions go, largely the Muslim faith tracks itself. In fact, they, they both say Abraham and Jews as their, their heir. In fact, we know throughout history, the, the Jewish-Muslim-Christian conflict has not been pretty. All back to a decision where they thought they were going to help God out because they want to trust God. They trust for 15 years. Come on, that's pretty good. But they said, well, it's time for us to help God out. Sometimes when we try to help God out, um, messes occur. Well, as you know, 10 years later, still nothing. God says, you're going to have a, a child next year. Sarah laughs. Remember the angel there? God says, did you laugh? No, it's weird to read the whole story. Long story short, Isaac is born when they're 100 years old. Um, fast forward a little bit. Things are good. Um, but then you have one of the weird and awkward stories where God says to Abram, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. Now, that was all they had. I mean, you remember that Father Abraham and his sons? They had like really just one. Well, Ishmael, but he kind of got left out. They pushed him away. And you're whining, this is all our future, all I have, this is all our trust in you, God. We've waited this time, 25 years. Now we're and the text says Abraham was willing. You go up on the mountain, get ready to, to kill, and the angel says, stop. Now I know you trust me more than anything else. Imagine what did Isaac learn. First of all, no more trips with dad. <laughs> Isaac knew who he was. In fact, if you think about the text, Isaac's 14, 15. Dad, 114 or 15. Isaac could have taken dad out. We'll sacrifice Abraham, right? Come on, daddy-o. Um, Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound, do you think? And Abraham was willing to do it. At that point, he had trusted God. God intervened, uh, and God says, now I know. And Isaac would then know what it means to fully offer ourselves to God. We live in a world that tries to tell you you are defined by your possessions. You'll be happier by having more stuff. And God wants to know, is there anything in your life that God can't have back? It's not only the future things. As we would baptize or dedicate babies and infants, we say, God, this is a gift from you. We hand that child back. Well, do we really? Even good and great things that we have can become, if we put our... The question was this for, Isaac, for Abram. Had Isaac, the promise, become his real God? Or was Yahweh still God? This text is a text of encouragement mostly, but it is to ask this question. Can we trust God with our future? Whether the times or lean or plenty. In this sense, this farmer had more than enough. And yet he got more, and his first thought was, I'll just keep to myself to have more great days. God 
often blesses us so that we can share and be a blessing to others. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you in your world here in 2019. Um, I don't know what this text means to you, but one of the things it offers us is to say, God, again today, I trust you in my places of empty or my places of barrenness. And for us to say again, God, all that I have is yours. And that danger, right, a little warning there. Be careful when you try to secure your own happiness and your own future. You set yourself up. Because every day is a gift. And all of a sudden, the reality is that man was dead a long time before he died. He had missed out on the joy of life, of sharing with others, of giving out the bounty that he had to be a blessing to others. I invite the worship team to come on up. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you this day for this text. To be honest, it's not a fun text. Um, it challenges us. It questions us. It asks us many questions. But Lord, it's a life-giving text. Lord, for many of us today, we are very tempted to make our happiness equated to the things that we have. Lord, we sometimes, even when we have, we get more, our first thought is, how can I keep it for myself? Lord, there are many folks in this room who are generous in giving. And Lord, may they inspire and lead and teach us. Because Lord, what they have figured out in your gospel is that you're a God that can be trusted. And Lord, um, to whom much is given, much is required, and that much is to be shared out. And Lord, help us think through what does the gospel of this message look like in our, our life this week? What is the thing you're asking us to do this day? Perhaps, Lord, we're in a lean time. You're asking us to trust you more. Perhaps, Lord, we're in a place of bounty, and you're asking us, how can I be a better steward of it? Perhaps, Lord, we've got a windfall that we hadn't anticipated. What do you want us to do with that? Lord, you want us to be thoughtful and responsible and wise, and that's important. But, Lord, may we never act in ways out of fear that we're going to run out. For, Lord, you're going to provide our daily bread over and over again. But for some of us, Lord, you invite us in our bounty, in our plenty, to help provide someone else's daily bread as the answer to their prayer. Lord, I pray you would let this important word sink deep in our hearts that could be life-giving. Help us to see, Lord, that farmer was missing out on life even though he had more possessions than he needed, but those possessions were possessing him. Lord, in the end, they did not bring him life. Lord, may we find life and loving you, loving others, serving and being served. Lord, may our life be a blessing to others. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our final song. Whether your life is full of lean, times economically, or abundance economically, may you all be rich in God's love. To go out and love and serve those in the abundance of God's grace. To go in grace and peace and hope today. Amen.